the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. But at this point in Luke 24, Jesus is alive. He's appeared to the women. He's appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus. And we left those two guys last week, not simply excited because they had seen the risen Lord, but they were excited because Jesus expounded the scriptures to them. Their hope, which had been dead, was aflame as he started explaining the scriptures to them before they even realized it was him. That was just kind of the cherry on top when they realized it was him. And that's important because it shows that our faith is based entirely on scripture. There is no Christianity without scripture. We read in our scripture reading that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, by the scriptures. So as we close out Luke's gospel today, everything's going to come full circle. We started off our study of Luke by saying that Luke wrote this to Theophilus to show him that he had a reliable faith. Well, today we're going to see that that's the case and why it's reliable. And as we do so, may Luke's goal be accomplished in us. So chapter 24, verse 33. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of days and thems and who's talking here. One of the cool parts about language of the New Testament compared to Koine Greek compared to our English is you don't ever have to worry about that. Like we read that and we go, who's the theys that are talking here? Who's the thems? But the way the Bible language works is that every noun has attributes to it. It has a gender, masculine, neutral, feminine. It has a number, singular or plural, or it has a case. And I'm not going to go into what that is, but there's four different kinds. And when you have a demonstrative pronoun, which basically means it's something that's referring back to something else previous, the way you know which thing it's referring to is where all, they all agree. So it's never, you have to, it's never a guessing game. You always know who it's being referenced by what it agrees to that came previously. So when we see here in verse 33, and they rose up, it refers back to while he opened to us the scriptures. So that's what it agrees with, the us that's there. So the idea here is these two disciples who went to Emmaus, when they talked to each other and they realized it was Jesus, they immediately rose up that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. But when they got there, they found the 11 gathered together and them that were with them. The them refers to the 11 gathered together. Everybody, all the disciples are gathered together there. Now the word gather, phrase gathered together is also interesting because it, interesting, it, it means having been caused to come together. So it's not just they all, oh, hey, we're all in the same place, cool. No, they actually were gathered together on purpose because something had happened. And verse 34 tells us what it was. Saying, the them that were with them gathered together, they said, saying, 
The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So this is what they, the two disciples from Emmaus, burst into the room and they find everybody already gathered together and they're discussing this idea that the Lord had appeared to Simon. Indeed. The word indeed means truly or certainly. Now the Simon here, of course, is referring to Simon Peter. I think it's funny. They didn't believe all the women who came and said they'd seen the risen Lord, but they believe Simon. Now that Simon says, I saw him, they're like, oh, now, now it's true. Do you realize back then that a woman could not testify in court? Come a long way, baby. The Lord has appeared to Simon, Simon Peter. Now that's interesting because the last time we saw Simon Peter, he knew something had happened because remember he went to the tomb, he saw it empty, he knew something had happened. But he didn't have a clue what it was because he didn't understand the scriptures. That's what John 20 tells us. He left amazed and confused. He knew something had happened, but he didn't know what it was. So it says he went back to the upper room. So he went back to the other disciples. But then at some point, he left again. And at that point, when he was alone, at some point later that day, Jesus went and found him. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, talks about it. I'm just going to read it real quick to you. But Paul, when he's explaining the gospel, he says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter's name, then by the twelve. Peter saw Jesus before this moment, because Jesus is going to poof, appear in their midst in just a few verses. It's exciting. But before that, he appeared to Peter. We have nothing about that encounter. Nothing other than that it happened. But is it surprising that Jesus singled out Peter for an appearance? Not really, is it? I mean, when you think about it, it makes sense, right? Mark's gospel, many consider it to be Peter's gospel because Peter was with Mark. When Peter writes from Babylon in one of his letters, he says... John Mark is with him. So most people believe that John Mark, who wrote the second gospel, that it's Peter's influence. So it's Peter's gospel. Well, he's the one that mentions Mark. When Jesus appeared to the women, he said, go and tell my disciples that I'm going to go before them into Galilee. And then he adds one phrase, go tell my disciples and Peter. Peter's the only one who mentions that. He tells Mark, he says, make sure you mention that he, he mentioned me specifically. Jesus was thinking about Peter specifically because Peter had fallen hard. Peter's failure weighed heavily on him, so much so that he went back to his old fishing career even after he saw Jesus alive. He needed to know that he was forgiven, even if he didn't believe that he could be restored to service yet. And I think that's what Jesus did. I think that's something that we all need to understand. Romans 4.25, it says that Jesus was raised, his resurrection, he was raised for our justification. What does that mean? He was resurrected to prove that God accepted the sacrifice so that we could all be completely and fully forgiven. Fully. That's what it means to be justified. He was resurrected so that we could be declared righteous. That's what it means to be justified. God makes it just as if I'd never sinned. He declares me to be innocent. He declares me to be not guilty. He declares me to be righteous with all the righteousness of Christ. Let me ask you a question. How righteous is Jesus? Completely. How much sin did he have? None. That's how I am now seen by God. The Bible says, He who knew no sin was made sin for us, 
took my sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's not my own righteousness, but it's in him I'm made righteous by my faith in Christ. And the resurrection proves that that's possible. The resurrection proves that's what God does for all those who put their faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus' resurrection proves that God accepted his sacrifice, his blood, and it makes our justification sure. So do you believe that you are righteous before God by your trust in Christ alone? You are. Believe it. Do you believe that you're fully forgiven by your trust in Christ alone? You are. And do you believe that God still wants to use you no matter how bad you failed simply because of your trust in Christ alone? He does. He does. When they hear them talking about Simon, they're like, we got a story to tell too. So verse 35 says, and they, and the word they there agrees with the they of verse 33, the us of verse 32. They then began to tell their story. They told what things were done in the way and how on the road to Emmaus and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. The word they're told means to explain the full story. They said, we got to tell you, we got to tell you the whole thing. And they begin to tell their whole story. It's in the imperfect tense, which means they don't get to finish their story. The reason they don't get to finish their story is because they're interrupted, verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said unto them, it's all good, yo. (laughs) Pretty much. Because that's kind of jarring, isn't it? Like, it's bad enough when someone comes to the door and you don't know who's there. You know, it kind of startles it. It's funny, that's how we are in the, in the States now these days. It used to be where people came to the door and you wondered if there's a neighbor or a friend or whatever. But now you're like, I didn't, nobody texted me, said they were coming by. <laughs> so you go to the window and you peer through, you go through the eye hole, you know, it's somebody there to murder you or whatever. I had uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come to the door yesterday and you know, so of course, everybody runs in the house, you know, and it's like, all right, I'll go to the door. And <laughs> I go to the door. You don't, you don't want your kids dealing with that, of course. You've told them, don't talk to strangers, and they look out there and they see strangers. And so I go to the door, and, and then, oh, and, and my last name, Ramirez, I'm targeted. And so, no, no, I only speak English. I blame my parents. We get visitors here all the time because they say, oh, Pastor Ramirez, you know, and, and they come and they visit the church, and then they're like, And they'll come to me in the line. You go, you speak Spanish? And I'm like, no, no, I don't. My mom's full-blooded German, and we went that way. And they just... (laughs) And then they go. It's very confusing, I know. I said, I blame my parents. But it's jarring. It would be jarring if all of a sudden those Jehovah's Witnesses were in my living room out of the blue. That would be a little jarring, wouldn't you think? Well, that's it. They're talking. Everybody's sharing. All of a sudden, poof, Jesus is there. He needs to say, peace be still, you know, or or, I'm sorry, not peace be unto you. The word peace, it means uh, favorable circumstances, freedom from worry. It's okay, which means it's all good. It's all good. It would be a bit alarming. No time to prep for the experience. He's just there. So his words make sense, but they don't believe it at first. Verse 37, but they were terrified. The word there means startled understandably so. But then here's the second word, and affrighted, which means to be very afraid. Why? Because they supposed that he, that they had seen a spirit. It means an evil spirit or a ghost. They were startled because of the suddenness, but they were very afraid because they assumed that they're being haunted by an evil spirit or a ghost. Now, why would they think that? I can think of quite a few reasons. Their cowardice, their unbelief, 
their awareness of their sin. Pretty much the same reasons we turn away from the Lord when he wants to give us peace and give us grace. It's a two-edged sword, the way the enemy works. The devil, the flesh, the world, they tempt us to trust ourselves, but then condemn us for doing so in order that we might stay away from God. That's how it works. That's how it works. So here's the cool part. Jesus went to them. They weren't going to go to him. They were scared, terrified, condemned, feeling like failures, so he goes to them. He wanted to be in their midst. He wanted to bless them. Think about it. How did Jesus deal with everyone he appeared to so far? Like, did Peter come back to the guys and say, man, I saw Jesus and I barely escaped by the skin of my teeth? Did the the women come back and say, we saw Jesus, but it was scary? No. He wanted to bless them, all of them. Yes, they were corrected. Every one of them were corrected. Don't you know what the scripture said? And then he explained the scriptures. But that was, he didn't correct them to blast them. He corrected them to fix them. What I found is that Christians and churches often make two extreme mistakes. Two extreme mistakes. Either we ignore sin and invite people close to Jesus, or we condemn sin and drive people from Jesus. And neither of those are biblical. I'm not all educated on the whole Kanye thing, all right? But on the one hand, I'm seeing a bunch of people like, it's our brother. And then I see all these other people like, he's a nut. Don't believe anything he says. And it's like, it seems like these two extremes, it's like, how about we just let a brother grow? How how about we just let someone in Christ grow? Why we got to throw him into the limelight? Why we got to all have a comment about it? I'm not critiquing you if you made a comment, okay? If you enjoyed the album and you enjoyed what he's doing, go for it, all right? But seems like there's these extreme responses all the time in the church. The Lord never compromised sin, but he always invited people close. Always. He always corrected with the purpose of drawing close. God wants to deal with our sin, and he wants to draw us close as well. And so he does. Verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled? He didn't go, I'm done with you all. He said, why are you troubled? It's interesting, the phrase troubled, it's Weird. It means, why do you exist in a state of confusion and great distress? In other words, the distress didn't start when he poofed in their midst. They've been existing in a condition of confusion and great distress. And then he asked them, and why do thoughts, the word means doubts, why do doubts arise in your heart? In other words, the women had told them, they doubted. Peter told them, they doubted. These two guys told them, Jesus is there. The problem is, and they don't have enough evidence, the problem is they didn't believe what he said from the beginning. And they still don't. And not believing from the beginning caused them to get into this condition. And that's why they're still there. So, again, two important things to recognize here. The state of confusion and distress started long before today. And the doubts continued to be entertained even though Jesus was right there in front of them. This is the danger of not knowing and not trusting the scriptures. Jesus prepared them very well for this trial, but they didn't embrace his words. So when the events of the cross began, confusion and distress reigned. And that wasn't going to be solved by other people saying they'd seen Jesus, or even from them seeing Jesus. It could only be solved by understanding the scriptures. Do you see that? Like this wasn't solved by Jesus being in their midst. Many people say, I think I mentioned this last week, well, I believe the Bible. If God would just appear to me. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Or I'll do what God says. I'll do what God says if he shows me how everything will turn out well. No, you won't. No, you won't. 
because we're not wired that way. We are not created to work that way. We are wired to be creatures that trust his word. Think about it. All the way back to the garden, okay? All the way back to the garden. God lays it all out, gives him this awesome place. And he says, you can have everything you want, except one thing. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you eating anything from that. That represents your choice to not trust my word. Do you believe me? We're good, God. Okay. And what does the enemy say to Eve? Did God really say? He didn't come and question. He goes, what's the last time you saw God? I think he might have died. I don't think he's real. They didn't question God's existence. He didn't question God's presence. He questioned God's word. He questioned God's word. And when Adam and Eve chose to eat that fruit, they chose to reject God's word, to believe it wasn't true. Again, it wasn't like when God came running through the, through the garden looking for him afterwards that Adam looked at Eve and goes, oh no, he is real. That, that wasn't their thought. They knew he was real. It was his word that was on the line. And they didn't trust it. We are wired to be creatures that trust his word. So when I won't trust his word, nothing else will empower me to please God. Nothing. No amount of miracles, no amount of seeing things will empower me to please God. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Paul asked the question, what is the word of of faith that saves us? What is the thing that saves us? He said, well, it's the word of faith which we preach. The word, a message that you put your trust in that we've preached to you. And what is it? That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes in the righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why does it work this way? Well, that's what God told us how it would work. That's what he says. So the big question then is, is, so how do people get saved then? How does faith come about? Verse 14, Romans 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, Someone has to tell them. How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? Someone has to tell them. Well, how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, if if someone's going to call on the Lord for salvation, they have to place their trust in him. To place their trust in him, they have to hear something about him. To hear something about him, someone has to tell them, right? So there has to be a line of communication for faith to come about. Now, that line of communication starts here. We're just regurgitating what's here. We're just sharing what we've already heard here. Paul, he doesn't say in 1 Corinthians 15, he doesn't say, you know, here's my gospel that I preach, that Christ died, we all saw him, and then Christ rose from the dead. Some of us saw him. He says, here's my gospel, that Christ died according to the scriptures, and that he rose from the third day according to the scriptures. That's what he says. It's according to the scriptures. Now, We don't have to believe that. Look at verse 16 in Romans 10. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. You can hear the gospel. You can make a choice to reject it. And and he quotes Isaiah to prove it. For Isaiah even said, Lord, who has believed our report? Nobody listens to me. So then he concludes, verse 17, faith comes by hearing. And how does hearing come? By the word of God. By the word of God. If you won't trust God's word, nothing else will empower you to please him. Nothing else will empower you to trust him. 
Jesus, why are you troubled? Why are you exist in this state of condition of great distress and confusion? Why are doubts still there even though I stand in front of you? It's because they don't believe the scripture. So verse 39, before they'll listen to scripture, Jesus has to deal with their fears that he's a ghost who's haunting them. Otherwise, they won't listen to anything he says. So verse 39, he says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. The word behold means you need to see this. You need to see, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Now there's a colon there, which means he paused. Seeing the wounds in Jesus' hands and his feet would confirm his identity, but it would not confirm his humanity. So after a brief pause where they don't respond, Jesus says more. He says, handle me too, handle me and see. The word there, it means touch me. You must touch me. It refers to a surface touch, not like a hug or an embrace. Just, just touch me. I'm not a, see that I'm not a ghost. Touch me and see. The word there means to understand or recognize that I'm not a ghost. I'm not here to haunt you. Again, a pause. At that point, someone must have been brave enough to touch Jesus because what he says next shows that. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. The word here, see, it means to presently experience. At some point, someone did touch him, and they didn't like go through him, and, and other guys had touched him, and then they all were, okay, he's not a ghost. And he goes, You're, okay, you got it? I'm not a ghost. And then when he had spoken that, he showed them again his hands and his feet. Why does he show them that? I mean, it's not like Jesus didn't have any other distinctive features. It's, it's not like if they were in a crowd that they couldn't look and go, where's the guy with the big nose, or where's the guy with the, the ears that are shaped this way, or the, the bushy eyebrows? I don't, I don't know, but I'm sure there were things that were distinct about Jesus, just like there are things that are distinct about you. It's not like they needed to see the wounds to know it was him. Why the emphasis on the wounds? I think because they teach us two important truths. They teach us the horrible ugliness of my sin and what it did to him, and the wonderful love of God, what he's willing to do for me. His wounds prove that I'm not okay on my own, that I'm lost and I'm in need of a Savior, and that sin is an abomination worthy of God's judgment. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, God will deal with you. He has to punish sin. We have this idea out there, well, yeah, I, I think God should punish really bad people, but not me. You're really bad people. You want to know why? Because God never designed this world to have sin in it. So whenever you choose to do something else, it doesn't matter how little it might be to you, it's a big deal to him because of what it destroys in you and what it destroys in his creation and what it destroys in others. So it is a big deal to him. And the cross proves that. The wounds prove that. But the wounds also prove that he did everything necessary to save me, that he loves me despite my wickedness and that he doesn't want to judge me. He wants to rescue me from it so I can be close to him. It proves that he wants to change me so I don't have to live that way anymore. That's why we call it good news. Because it's great news <laughs> that I don't have to die. I can be forgiven. I can be different. I can be his child. At this point, they might not believe Jesus is a ghost anymore, but they still don't understand what's really happened. Because verse 41 says something really weird. And while they yet believe not, while they still didn't believe for joy, because of their joy, and wondered, he said unto them, do you have here any food? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. What a weird thing. They still didn't believe, but it's because they were happy? 
Why wouldn't they believe because they were happy? Well, there are times that joy can hinder faith as much as sorrow, especially when I think something is too good to be true. The word wondered there, it means to be amazed or surprised. They still didn't come to a place of trusting what he said, trusting what prophets had said about the Messiah would happen, and understanding what he did for them. They still weren't there. They were just relieved he wasn't a ghost. They were just relieved that he was alive. They didn't take that next step to say, where do we go from here? That's not all too different from us. Have you ever had a major problem and you cry out to God with all sorts of promises if he'll take care of it? And then he does. You know what happens a lot of times when we do that, when we bargain with God? When we bargain with God instead of resting in the promises of his word, we usually end up forgetting our end of the bargain once the crisis is over. Because we bargained with God. And so we kind of, the way we work is we come up with new bargains. We say, well, God surely wouldn't expect me to go to church for the rest of my life. He really didn't expect me to read my Bible every day. I mean, that's kind of, you're expecting a lot. The crisis wasn't that bad, God. And we just kind of go about with our regular everyday lives. When we bargain with God, there's no love there. There's no gratitude there. It's just, well, I did my part and God did his part. So now we can, we're square. We can kind of move on. So they'd never come to the place where they were thankful, where they actually pondered the meaning of what it, his death and resurrection were to them. They were just happy about the relief they were experiencing, not worshiping the one who brought it. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.